Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. Hey, uh, it's good to be here this morning. My name is Tony Tucci. I get to uh, I get the pleasure of of preaching and teaching this morning. We're continuing our Far Country series, and uh, so far we've learned about Abraham, we've learned about Moses and Daniel, and today we get to talk about Jeremiah. So I am excited to teach about it, and I want to open up just in prayer. All right, Father, thank you for what you're doing in our lives, in this church, in our body. Lord, thank you for what you've already done by uh, just having the opportunity for us to come before you and worship and say that you're welcome here and to read uh, from your word and to hear that you have called us to continue to do good and to serve, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that we get to serve together. And I pray, Lord, today that you would come and speak to us through your word, through the words of Jeremiah and the implications of what they are, Lord, for us to live as missionaries, for us to live in exile, knowing that you love us and that you've called us for a purpose and that you've called us to have a mindset of true homewardness, of of our home in heaven, Lord. I pray that these things would speak to us. And, And the power of your word, I ask, that would speak to each one of us, even if we're in different spots, Lord, that you would come and that you would speak encouragement that you would give insight, that you would bring challenge, that you would bring conviction, and that you would bring just an awareness and a scope and an understanding of your, of your scripture today. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, I got to preach this last week, and it was at, at West, which is really interesting to do what I'm about to do now. And we're learning about Jeremiah. We're, we're going to be talking about Jeremiah today. And Jeremiah was a prophet who was speaking, the word that he spoke that we're going to focus on today was one that was focused in a letter to Israel that was in exile. They had been taken from Jerusalem and they're living in a hostile country in Babylon, right? And so they're called, you're going to hear me say this, they're called with some very specific instructions on how to live their life while living in exile. So that's what we're going to get to. Okay, so pay attention to that when we get there. But for right now, I want to, I want to do this exercise. So how many of you, raise your hand, how many of you would say that you, that you call Wisconsin home? You're from Wisconsin. Raise your hand. Okay. So then alternatively, raise your hand if you would say that somewhere other than Wisconsin is your home. Raise your hand. Okay, so less people. So a lot of people here are from Wisconsin. For those of you that aren't from, oh, how about this? How many of you um, would consider Madison your home? Raise your hand if you consider Madison home. Okay, so we have an interesting, I'm just getting a visual here, we have an interesting mix. So how long does it take, for those of you who haven't, who are not from Wisconsin, they're from another state, have you been here for more than five years? More than five years? Raise your hand, more than five years? More than ten years? More than ten years? Okay, so what, we're, what I, what I want to think about is how long does it take for you to be from somewhere to where you call where you're living now home? How long does that process take? Because what we're talking about right now, this whole series is about far country, right? And we're talking about how where, we, where we're living now isn't really our true home, right? We're called, our true home is somewhere else. And if we're believers, our true home is a kingdom mindset. It's a kingdom home. It's heaven. So if we're truly intended to be live, living in heaven, right? But because of sin, everything got broken and we're supposed to have oneness with God. This is a complex concept, right? If this isn't really our true home, what does that imply for us? And you have that just to kind of give you insight. When I we moved here, let me I gotta look at my timer here, otherwise I'll go super long and you guys will be super bored. Um, 
When we, my, family, the, the, my family moved here about 10 years ago. We moved here from the Milwaukee area. So we've been here for 10 years, and it's starting to feel like home to me. I'm comfortable, and I'm familiar with Madison. I still say that I'm from West Bend, which is where we're from, but it's becoming more like less of part of who I am as my family has grown and has, as you know, I've gotten more comfortable around here and I've got grown deep relationships here. This is feeling more like home to me than West Bend was. Okay, so this idea of what home is and what we do when we feel like home or what we do when we maybe aren't even at home. How do we live as believers? That's what we're going to be talking about, okay? So, Jeremiah. We're going to dive into Jeremiah. And I don't know if you're like me. When you hear we're going to talk about Jeremiah or maybe Isaiah or Hosea or Amos, right? These prophets in Scripture, they intimidate me a little bit, right? Does, who, who gets intimidated by the prophets? Raise your hand if you're like, man, we're going to go through the prophets. We got some honest people here, right? <laughs> Like, if you ask me, like, what am I reading? I, I'm almost always reading, like, 1 Peter or 1 John or the Gospel of John or 1 Timothy in my own, if I'm just in my own study. But the, the idea of the prophets is kind of a big, it's a big idea. And sometimes we don't really get quite what God is speaking to his people, what God's speaking to his church. What's, what are the implications of the prophets speaking to the Israelites? What implications do those have for us today? Right? It's not as easily a direct, like, therefore, go and do this. Right? Sometimes it's challenging. When I was studying over the past few weeks, man, I was so blessed by studying Jeremiah. I'll just be honest with you. It was, it was refreshing to me to just feel like I just barely started to peek in and see like I understood what was going on. Not to say by any means that I'm like, I get Jeremiah because Jeremiah is a, it's a long book. And Jeremiah, as a prophet, he, he had a ministry of over 40 years. He served under five different kings. That's a long span. And when you read Jeremiah and you read it from start to finish, you have no idea what's going on because it's not chronological. Right? It doesn't go in this linear line. It goes kind of all over the place. So there's a lot going on in Jeremiah. This is what you need to remember about Jeremiah and who he is. He is speaking to the Israelites who are in exile, okay? And he's speaking to a people who have continually turned away from their true and loving father, their God, and they've walked away to serve other gods. God has been faithful to his people. He gave them a land. He called them out of slavery. Now they went into the promised land. They rebelled, turned their hearts God punished them. They came back. Got you know, this continual cycle. So we pick up the story where, where Jeremiah is speaking to the Israelites. And he, one that he's speaking to them often is one of continual repentance. Repent and return to the Lord. Repent and return to your father. Repent. Repent. Continual. So this is one where it's kind of a heavy story, right? But it's a reminder of good Lord, come back to your loving father. He's known as the weeping prophet because he weeps for God's people and how they've just been idolatrous and adulterous against who God is, right? And so his continual call back to the people of Israel are return to the return to your God, return to the God who called you out of slavery. Why have you drifted back? Okay, he's also known as the persevering prophet because he would speak things and no one would listen. 
or depending on who the king was, he may have favor, right? And they would listen for a little while. And then if there was a new king in place, then they wouldn't listen and he'd get tossed in jail. Okay, so he had a, I start to picture Jeremiah as this kind of wise sage, kind of leathery character with gray hair who's just kind of seen a lot. You know, you see, you see people who you, they've been around for a while and they have something to say. We want to pay attention to these wise people who've, they've got some experience. They've spent some time with the Lord and you can tell by just, their, by just being around them. You ever, be around, you ever been around those people? You can just tell that they've spent countless hours and years in the presence of God. You want to be around those people and you want to hear what they have to say. Amen? So we want to hear what God has to say to us today through the prophet Jeremiah. So the context here is Jeremiah is in Jerusalem and he's writing a letter to those who've been exiled. So the, the, the people of Israel, Judah, they are in Babylon. And Babylon, the cultural context and the political landscape, or I guess the, the whole area, is hostile towards Israel. It's hostile, right? So we don't really have a, a way to really think much about that because we haven't really experienced that recently for us, right? But it's, it's, it's some, if you could picture being somewhere where some, the, the landscape of the country is completely opposed to you and your God and they hate you and they want you dead. That's intense. So if you can get that around your imagination. And so now you're living there. You're living in this country filled with completely foreign culture. It's a completely foreign culture. And the landscape is people, they don't want anything to do with you or your God. And your God is very important to you. Okay, so this is the word that comes from Jeremiah to the people in Babylon. So we're going to pick it up in Jeremiah 29, verse 4. We're going to breathe heavily so everyone feels weird. <laughs> All right, Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Those are the verses we're going to focus primarily on, but I want to continue reading the next few verses just so you get the context as well. And so we'll pick it up again in verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So here comes the great coffee mug, bumper sticker, license plate verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and I will... And come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Okay, so it's interesting to note that that verse about that we've used culturally, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you've probably heard that verse or you've seen the t-shirt, you know, and it's been, you know, on a bumper sticker or whatever, for I know the plans I have for you. And that's encouraging and that's to read. You know, it doesn't say, this is two people who were in exile and they were hated, right? Like, 
We, the prosperity gospel sometimes uses this to prop up like, oh, and so everything's going to be great for you. This is coming on the heels of it saying, you're going to be here for a while. Plan on building houses. Plan on planting gardens. Plan on getting married because it's going to be a little while that you're here, okay? 70 years. Okay, so kind of, he's basically saying, buckle up. You're not going any for, anywhere for a while. So you need to be, you need to serve this city that you're living in. You need to serve the city that you're living in. So the implications that, or what Jeremiah says just plainly is this. He says, I think it's interesting what he says. He says, build houses. It's interesting that he doesn't say buy houses or rent houses, right? Like I, I think in real estate terms sometimes, right? But he says build houses because what does that imply? That's, you're going to be there for a bit. You need to be invested. You need to get down. Like you're not just passing through. You're going to be here for a while. So plan on becoming making this home, essentially, even though while you're in exile, right? He says plant gardens, right? And doesn't say just eat food. Like to plant gardens requires a lot more work, right? For those of us that have gardens, we know that like, it'd be easier just to go buy the vegetables from somebody else than it would be to like till the soil, right? Does pe do people say till the soil? No. <laughs> like dig up the ground and plant a seed and then water it and weed it and take care for it. If it's sunny, you got to make sure it's fine. You know, sometimes you have to Cover. There's a lot of work that goes into having a garden just to be able to get some, some vegetables or some fruit that oftentimes get eaten by animals, right? So he's saying plant gardens. Plant gardens like dig in. You're going to be part of this community. You're not, just gonna be, you're not just passing through. You're not just passing through, right? Marry and multiply. This is, a, this is a familiar command, right? To fill the earth and subdue it, right? We heard that from Abraham. They were talking about his descendants being as many as the stars in the sky and the, and the sand in the ocean, right? So he's saying, you're going to be here. You need, to, you need to buckle down. And then to marry, right? So to multiply. It's interesting also, and, it, and you have to I think it's worth noting, build homes, plant gardens, and marry, right? You're not just passing through. It's not saying just get some food, just find some place to land, go have sex, do your thing, satisfy those desires. There's some order even in that as how he's saying it, right? You're not just like getting the basic needs met. Boom, boom, boom. He's saying no. You're digging down. Like you're you're going to be here for a bit. And I'm tell I'm going to tell you why. Because for us, if we, if we think about who the Israelites are, God had given them a land and he had given them a place, right? And now it's saying, well, wait, why would we do this while we're in exile? This isn't our true home. Why would we do this? Why would we seek to, like verse 7 says, why would we seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile? God says, I have sent you into exile. I want you to seek the welfare of the city where you are. Seek the welfare of the city and pray for the city. You need to love the place where you are, God says to his people. Now this might, I don't know how this would have been received. But these aren't our people. Why would we do that? Why do you care? God has a broader vision and a deeper view than we do. Amen? In their welfare, you will find your welfare, God says. So in serving, you will find your welfare. In sacrificing, you will find your welfare. It's not how we see things. Amen? So the implications are pretty, are pretty deep also. 
along with the implications previously of repenting and returning, this is one that's calling us to be humble, right? We need to be humble. So the, the Israelites needed to be humbled where they were living, and they needed to seek the welfare of the city. Now that sounds good, but what does that really do? It means you have to be humble as you're seeking the welfare of those around you. You have the mindset of like, I am here for a purpose, and the Israelites, they had been sent there by God, so there's some correction taking place there, right? And so you needed to pray to the Lord for the city. They needed to pray. So can you imagine, you're the Israelites, you're in a hostile nation with people that hate your God, and they don't really care about you. They just took you over, right? And you are to pray for that city. You're to, they were to pray for that city. They were supposed to have a mindset of wanting to serve that city. So here's what it, here's what it means for us. Right, So we take this word and we see that Jeremiah spoke this to the Israelites who were living in exile. And I'm hoping that you're already starting to think about what the implications are for you. right? Because where do we find ourselves today? Where do we find ourselves today in this country? Is the norm, is the macro perspective in our country one that is really loving and welcoming toward our God? Or is it hostile to an exclusive God? It's hostile. It's hostile, right? So we are living here, and we're in this culture, and we're, we're living in this place where being able to honor one true, holy, loving God, we're going to be met with hostility if we do that, right? So that's one of the implications that I'm learning from that, is that we, if we're living in a, if we're living in a landscape here politically and culturally that's hostile to our God, we are called to serve. We are called to be invested in our community. We are called to be invested in the city that God has placed us in. Amen? This is a tough call. This should make you uncomfortable. Okay? Because first, we need to recognize. What, is, what does Jeremiah say in verse, um, verse 9? It is a lie that they are prophesying to you. I did not send them. Do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. He's like, don't pay attention to what is also going on around you. These other prophets and the other gods that are at your disposal. I am speaking a different word to you. I am calling you to be a different people, to be my people, stamped with my name, to serve the city that you live in. That should make us feel slightly uncomfortable because we're going to be out of our comfort zone when we have to step out and serve where we are and potentially be unmisunderstood, right, as we're serving the people around us, as we're serving this city. I sometimes don't like it when people talk badly about Madison. I get defensive. I get sensitive. <laughs> You know, I'm a sensitive guy as a whole anyway. But when people touch the trash, especially in the church, right? Oh, Madison, they're filled with fill in the blank. Good Lord, God's put us here for a purpose. Amen. And we need to serve where we are. Okay. So we need to have, and I'm getting ahead a little bit in where we're headed in this series. We need to have as the church in a city where it may be the cultural environment is hostile towards our God. If we're living here, we need to have a missionary mindset. Okay? We're not just passing through. We're not just passing through. We're here. 
we don't know how, excuse me, we don't know how long we'll be here, right? We don't know how long, we don't know how long, like I said, we don't know how long we're going to be here, but we know that while we're here, we know what we're supposed to do, amen? We are to seek the welfare of the city. We are to put some roots down. Because someone who is just passing through, I remember my father-in-law who works, uh, he worked for a car company in Atlanta, and he worked for this company, I think it was Lotus. Who's a, does anybody know the company Lotus? This is like a sports car that's owned by a company in England, right? It's a, it's a British car company. So my father-in-law is working for this company that's in Atlanta, and the ownership is in um, England, and their current president lived in Las Vegas, and he would commute to Atlanta, and the leadership was terrible. It was horrible, okay? And so he would have, he was in direct conflict all the time with the president of this company, and he just, and one of the things he said to me, which I'll never forget, he was like, the guy doesn't even live here. He's renting like a, a temporary executive suite. His home is in Las Vegas. Las Vegas of all places, you know what I mean? Like, that's where this guy was home, that was where he was from, that's what his identity was, but he's running this foreign country, this foreign company living in their corporate city in Atlanta, and that rubbed my father-in-law my father the wrong way. He's like, this guy is not invested. He could leave at any time. How am I going to follow this guy who's not invested in this city? Right? So you start to, I mean, that made an imprint on me. I'm like, oh, man. So we're here. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to buy and build homes. We're supposed to plant gardens. We're supposed to marry. We're supposed to get deeply invested because we're going to be here for a bit. And we don't know. We don't know God's timing. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. We don't, but while we're here... While we're here, we got work to do, and we need to serve our city with diligence. We need to, and sometimes when we say serve our city, that's easy to be like, yeah, I want to serve our city. You know what that means? You need to serve its people. You know what that means? You need to serve the people who are in your direct proximity. Because it's nebulous to say that we want to serve the city, right? The city, we don't have a relationship one-on-one -on -one with the city. We can organizationally attempt to, right? But what it really means is person to person, we need to serve where God's called us, whatever influence we have. Okay, so we need to have that missionary mindset where where we're from isn't as important as where we're going. Amen? So where we're from isn't as important, isn't our primary identity compared to where we're going. And as believers, our mindset needs to be on heaven always. That's that far country. We are not called to be complete citizens of this land but we're called to live here. There's this paradox and this tension, right? We don't want to be owned by and influenced by the gods of this land, the cultural norms of this land, the values of this land, right? We have a different set of values. So there's this tension. I'm saying invest and dig deep and get down, but hold on, it's not your true home. How do we do that? We can't do that on our own. It has to come completely from the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, amen? Okay, and we have to do it together too. We can't just run solo. When Jeremiah is speaking to the Israelites, he's speaking to a people. He's speaking to a whole people and saying, hey, this is your call. This is what you need to do. Buckle down. Serve the city. Amen? Amen. So we need to live in this. So as the body, I sometimes get discouraged when Christians beat up other Christians and we kind of hurt each other and we're just kind of we're negative and just kind of hard to be around, right? Like, we need to live as those who've been redeemed, amen? amen? We need to have a redeemed disposition where we actually are representing our king well, right? Wherever you are, you should be a leader. You should be joyful. I'm not talking about cheesy cheerfulness. 
I'm talking about deep joy. We need to live like that. Let's show the people around us that we've been redeemed. Let's show our king off a little bit, right? So if we're going to live in a city in a time where we are not like those around us because we've been called for a different purpose with a higher calling for a better home, we need to live in such a way. So that when people say, oh, no, you know what, man? I'm just passing through. I'm just passing through. I'm going to live here while I'm here. But my true home is heaven. They'd be like, whoa, there's something about that guy. I need to know that lady. Oh, man, what, what is, what's the story with them? They've been redeemed. They have a purpose. They have a purpose. So I shared this last week. Little simple stuff like this. Like if you go out to eat, maybe I've mentioned this before, and this is kind of a pet peeve of mine, so I'll force it in here. If you go out to eat, if you can afford to go out to eat, you can afford to tip well, please. Amen? Right, Ralph? Right? You should be known as like the best tippers out there. We should be known as that. Like let's, that's just an easy one, you know? So, okay, I'll move on. I could talk about that for a while. <laughs> we can't be attached to our possessions and our positions. That was free. Yeah. We can't, I heard that. That's right. It was a good one, though. We can't let, while we're, so again, the tension is we're passing through because heaven's our true home, right? But we're called to be invested while we're here. So we're still passing through, but we're still invested. There's a tension there. So while we're passing through the homes that we've built and the gardens that we've that we've planted, right? And the, we can't let those things get a hold of us, right? Our positions. So you say, I'm not really, in, I, I don't own a home, but I got, you know, but what is it? Is it your position? Whatever position you have, maybe in your occupation or in your family that you have find identity in that's outside of Christ, you need to let that go for the purpose of the mission of the church, which is to see the renewal of the city and a people return to the king. Okay, so we can't let our possessions and our positions keep us back. We can't be identified by them, right? These are all temporary things. They're all temporary things. And so many times in the church, these are the things that catch us. Our possessions, our positions, our positions of power, or desire to have power, right? Or desire to have more things, right? It's never going to be enough. We have to live counterculturally as well, right? We have to live in this city. We have to live in wherever God's put us, knowing that we need to love and serve, but recognize that this isn't our true home. We also need to persevere. We also need to persevere. That's why we need community. Because if God's calling us with this impossible task to see people return to him who are hostile towards him, we will get tired serving those who don't like us and hate our God. So that's why we need to do this together. So we need to persevere. Scripture talks about do not persevere in doing good. Okay? So that's what we're called to do. We also, this is like one that just kind of gets slipped in there. We need to resist worshiping foreign gods. Right? So the Israelites were known for adopting the culture around them. Right? And the gods that we are around don't happen to be cute little idols most times. Right? They happen to be how, how we feel. It's possible that our own happiness, our own significance, or our influence, right? all of these things can become idolatry for us because our culture worships that. Our culture is obsessed with making us obsessed with ourselves. Right? I mean, we have things like selfies. Right? And that's not new, but I mean, it's like it's all about you. It's all about you. So we are called to be thinking about 
someone else, about other people. So we need to be sacrificial and think about others. And so we can't give in to the cultural foreign gods while we're living in this land. We can't give in to the worship of the, idolat- of the existing gods here. right? So that's just something that we need to be aware of. We also need to practice hospitality. We need to practice hospitality where we are. And so there's a distinction between practicing hospitality and having fellowship. Okay? So fellowship is Lucas comes to my home. Lucas, what's God's teaching you today? Oh, man, God's been teaching me this in my work and in my marriage and with my family and, you know, all of these different things. And I spur him on and he spurs me on. And we are in agreement around we have the same dad, right? We have the same father. So we fellowship together. And that's powerful. Hospitality is inviting people in who are not like you, who don't have the same values, that you get to serve and ask about their life for the purpose of them getting to know your king. So there's a distinction. There's a distinction. I think oftentimes we confuse the two, right? Sometimes we as believers think we're having fellowship, but we're not having godly conversation. It's not moving us closer to God. We're just talking about whatever is culturally relevant around us. So when we're fellowshipping, we need to be fellowshipping well, right? When we're practicing hospitality, we need to be practice hospitality well. So there's a separation, there's a distinction there. And we, as believers, need to practice hospitality. So having neighbors over, have, being the first to welcome people who are unlike you to serve them. Amen? So... We don't want to let the things around us become so important to us that we lose the mission that God's called us to. We don't want to let the preoccupations of this world, a lot of them are very real and normal, right? Like this is just normal stuff, right? But a lot of times they distract us from the mission that God has called us to. I remember when we were living in Mexico, when I was a kid, I was only seven years old. But I remember in, in preparing for this, I remember thinking about like, we had moved all, we had moved from West Bend down to Mexico and we were making a new home there, right? So this is that, that missionary mindset. So my citizenship was always in the US. And even as a young kid, I started to get this as we started to come back. We were only there for five years. But I was almost 13 years old when we came back, right? So I was, Mostly comfortable home in West Bend in Wisconsin, right? But I lived in Mexico for so long, I had adopted the language. I picked it up just naturally, right? And we didn't know, I don't know how long we were going to be there. I don't even know if my dad knew how long we were going to be there. But while we were there, we were called to serve wherever we were, right? And I was old enough to see that my dad was on mission in a country that wasn't his own. And one of my, so, so my dad, you know, one of the things that they did is they started two different churches in two different cities. And my dad still goes back and baptizes people today because they see them as their pastor, which is powerful. But you know how we met those guys? The town that we lived in was a, a silver mining town. It was very close to like some of the biggest silver mines in all of like, I don't know, I think Mexico at least, maybe even South America. So there's a lot of people there who would make silver jewelry. And so my dad's mission was to serve the people there. So he would go and he would work with, no, I'm not kidding, this guy's named Carlos. He'd go with them and he'd sit there and he'd hammer away on these like prehistoric tools and like make, make jewelry. And all the while he's serving him, 
getting work done, but he's talking to him. He's sharing the gospel with him. He's invested in his life. Right? So my dad knew that he was there for a purpose. And he had a reason to be there, all the while knowing that his true citizenship wasn't in Mexico. He was a citizen of the United, of the United States. In fact, every six months, he had to go back to renew his, citizen, his paperwork so that he could go back. So that example of serving the people where he was, adopting some of those like norms that weren't anti the God of the Bible, right? Things that he could do, adopt, adapt. We need to be able to look for ways that we can serve in our city whatever we're in serve in the relationships however whatever that looks like now what it looks like for you might be different for me right what so you need to be asking yourselves like how can i as an individual be on mission in this in my workplace in the relationships that i have right who in your circle do you know that you can invite over for a meal being on mission sometimes gets more complicated than it needs to be you just need to start by being interested in people and just asking them questions about themselves. We talked about being obsessed with ourselves. People love to talk about themselves. I love to talk about myself, right? And so if you take interest in other people and you ask them about their life, you will get access to them, to their heart, because you care about them. So the, the, the trick is you actually do have to care. So... <laughs> Small point, you actually should care for those around you. This goes back to my previous point, when people kind of rag on the city that you're living in, and they live, oh, Madison, so blah, 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 blah. And we want to care for it. We want to love for it. We want to care for the people that God's put us around. Amen? So, and as much as we don't want to let our positions and our possessions get attached to us, we don't want those things to become our identity, we do want to get attached to people. We do want to get attached to people. Okay, and we want to invest in them. So the message of Jeremiah, speaking to those who are in exile, to serve the city, it's, that, that had to be hard for them to hear. So as much as for us, we need to hear this as well, right? So this is not your true home. We're called to be, we have a heavenly mindset. So while we're here, we get all the benefits of knowing that this is temporary. All the benefits of knowing that this is temporary because it makes that which is truly, truly hard and challenging and suffering temporary. It's just temporary. Now, that's not to diminish the significance of the hurt that some of us go through. Amen? Okay? But it will pass. It will pass. And we as believers sometimes get so stuck on the things that have hurt us because they are real. I'm not diminishing that. They are real. But it keeps us from moving forward in the mission that God's called us to. So knowing that our true home is a heavenly one makes all the hard things easier to stomach and move forward in because it's temporary. Similarly, it makes all the good things easy to cherish and know that they don't have to define us. Right? So this is a really good thing. Family, right? Marriage, job, joy. All of these things that we like and we love, they're good, but they're also not defining to us. Do you see that detachment? Right? So you can't let the challenges and the hurts or the good things and the wonderful things be that which is identifying you. You get to have the benefit of knowing that you're passing through its temporary, but also you need to not squeeze everything you possibly can out of the good thing that you have. You ever seen a little kid? Like Iris lately has been snuggling her, you know, her stuffed animal. She's like, squeeze it. Man, if that thing was alive, it'd be dead. You know what I mean? That's a, let that, if that thing was alive, it'd be dead. Let that sit on you for a minute. That's deep. Right? But the visual, right? Like little children, sometimes they love something so much they just 
squeeze it. I need to get everything I can out of this satisfying thing. No, you don't. You can enjoy it for what it is. You can take joy in it, but you can have and you can live in that tension, right? So art and music, good. But it doesn't have to define everything all about you. It doesn't have to be your self-actualization, your job, right? It doesn't have to make up everything who you are. So you get the benefit of knowing you're called to serve people, not things. You're called to enjoy things and serve people, amen? So we get to live in this detachment knowing that our true home is somewhere else. We live in this continual tension on this detached way where we don't get like, it's not that we aren't moved. I'm ripping off Rich Mullins, by the way, but I couldn't find this quote. All the stuff that he talked about. We, it's not that we're not moved by the things around us, right? It's not that we don't mourn for those who hurt. And it's not that we don't rejoice in the things that are great. It's that we do it better because we know it's temporary. Amen? So we're called to be, it's a high call. Everything I'm talking about, this is impossible for us to do. And you will fail terribly and miserably at it. Except for the grace of God. Except for the power of the Holy Spirit that wants so badly to have a people that know that they're redeemed, that they've been called with a purpose, with a mission and a mandate to serve those around them for his glory. Amen? Amen. So, what does Paul say about this to us? Paul says this in Philippians 3. He comes out with a bang here. 3.19, mid-sentence. Paul is historically a terrible run-on sentence, fella. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with their mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Our citizenship is in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious people by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven, but we live on earth. Heaven is eternal. Earth is temporary. The call is to get at it while you're here. To serve, to spend yourself. While you're here, it's going to be short in light of eternity. It's going to be short in light of eternity. Peter says this, Beloved, he says this in 1 Peter 2.11, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, or strangers and aliens, which was almost going to be the name of this series, to abstain from passions, it's a true story, to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they speak, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This isn't just so that we can say, hey, look, the church isn't full of a bunch of jerks. This is about God's glory. This is about God's glory that he deserves. Because Jesus came as a missionary. Amen? Talk about living in exile. He lived in all of the wonder of heaven and took on the humility of man to come down to live as an exile among people who didn't want him or care about his father. But what an example he was. He was passing through on earth and he made it count. He made it count. Make your time count. Make it count. Because it's going to go so fast. And we've been here 10 years already. Kirsten and I moved here. We had two kids. Now we have six. Good Lord. (laughs) 
A lot changes in 10 years. What's going to happen in 70? Make your life count. Make it count. Let's make the, the impact of this church count. It's going to come in really boring ways. It is. It's going to be you showing up to serve. It's going to be you showing up to check in on Lucas. When this, this week, some pretty intense family stuff going on in Lucas's family. I don't mean to bring this publicly, but man, we're texting and we're calling and, you know, like just show up. I didn't even ask for his permission, so I hope that's all right. But here's, you know what I mean? You know, like, what's going on? Like, hey, we want, we want to start something here for youth. Youth? There's no youth here. There's only seven. Don't do that. Don't do that. Man, you know what? That's awesome. We got something new coming, and we're going to serve the youth because we care about our youth. We care about our students. Right? Can we end it with the cynicism? I'm saying this to myself. I'm preaching it to myself. Right? Make your time count. Make your time count. So we need to live. We need to live ex exiles in this place that God's put us. Adopt the missionary mindset that we are to love those around us. Right? So you're living in a foreign place. And we, we need to see ourselves as missionaries, right? And the native people here, right? They need to know our God. John Piper says this. Let's live so that the natives will want to meet our king. Is the way that we are living making those around us want to meet our king? That's our call. That is our call. We're going to head into a time of worship now. Okay? And so as we head into a time of worship, we get to respond in song. And we get to respond also not just like the symbol here of taking communion sometimes gets lost if we forget about the sacrifice that Jesus had for us. That's why we take this together. So if you call Christ your Savior and you've been redeemed and you know you've been redeemed, we welcome you to take communion with us, right? And do that with a sober mind. Do that with a sober mind. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for giving me a purpose. Thank you for giving me a new home, one that will live forever. And if you need to repent, repent. Because guess what happens after repentance? Forgiveness. And then the Holy Spirit can come in and can start using you. And you'll be amazed and surprised at the things that God does in you once you live in repentance and commitment towards him, recognizing who he is. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the time that we get to spend here today. I pray, Lord, that you would turn our hearts towards you and that you would give us an eternal mindset that we would see that we are called to be missionaries and servants in the place that you've called us and that where we are does not define us but whose we are and where we're going does god that we will be known as yours and that the people around us will want to get to meet our king and our god and that we would not cave to the pressures of today and the culture around us that is not welcoming of your spirit. But we welcome your spirit. We ask that you would disrupt our lives, that you would come in, that you would speak to us, that you would give us clarity in our mission and clarity in our call. And I ask for your blessing on this body as we seek to, as a body, serve well in this city. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.